Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Amir Malikpour. And we are discussing Mr. Miracle number 20 and 21 from 1977, written by Steve Englehart and drawn by Marshall Rogers. Yeah, this is not Kirby, is it? It's not Kirby at all. What's going on here? Who is this? It's it's like it's great 70s comics for what it is. But oh, I just found myself like cankering for Kirby or even for Tom King. Exactly. Yeah. But I do want to say I feel like that Tom King drew some of his um, stories from here, like some of his characterization from these stories, I feel like. Well, keep going with that. Part of that is I was going to mention this really came up on issue 21 for me, but Granny's relationship with Scott, there's a point where Darkseid tells Scott, this is issue 21. I know we're discussing 20 and 21, but they're pretty much related. Darkseid was like, you are my son. And then uh, Scott was like, well, no, actually, Granny was the one that raised me. Mm -hmm. She's the only parent on Darkseid for me. And it was just kind of interesting. There were some interesting parts of this. And I think there's probably some, well, not some things I don't agree with that Englehart did that he probably like a assumed was the case and B, they probably did it because they wanted to go a different direction that Kirby did for whatever reason. But that was interesting. The granny relationship is definitely apparent in Tom King's stories. Um, and it was here where like granny is like a parent. Although there are some, I don't know if you want to jump around, but the, the weirdest panel was on issue 21. Then we'll get to it. If I don't know how you want to. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about granny first since, since that's a really interesting topic here. Cause that's one of the few things I agree that like really fits true here. It's like granny, he, he was nominally dark son, but not really dark just kind of, abused him and didn't pay any attention to him granny was the one who was with him the entire time i guess she was granny was like his nanny or so to speak yeah right i think and and Englehart plays with that kind of relationship that granny has with scott too where you know she's kind of sickly sweetly kind to him but manipulating him at the same time yeah and that part really i think is is one of the king's smartest ways of presenting them because yeah, it's like this weirdly d- destroyed version of parenting. Yeah. Not only is it skipping a generation, but it's also, you know, the, this very, very abusive relationship. I mean, the funny thing, the interesting about it is that um, I think the parental relationship is directly, I don't know if King did it on purpose. I'm assuming he read all of this and I think that's where he got it. It's a direct correlate I mean it correlates or it's almost a direct sequel to like these stories I feel like mm-hmm. there's also that so when Oberon was visiting um he was there on New Genesis and High Father was talking to him and stuff there's a point where Oberon says like hey you're his dad and you don't know him as much as I do and that was one thing that I was like interesting in fact like the one of the one of the parts I enjoyed about the book was where Oberon calls him senile. Mm-hmm. Sound like a senile father. This is on a issue, I think 21, page three, panel two, which is kind of, he calls him senile, which is really funny. But I mean, I think that parental, so there's that part where like, he's all like, yeah, you've only known him for a few months. 
or if you, you know, whereas, and I know I work with them every day and Darkseid even knows them better than Allfather. And then furthermore, there's that relationship of like towards the end of the issue, you know, as we we're ending the storyline, Hyman tells, so you know, they talk about, you know, there's this whole like Jesus complex or whatever that they're trying to, they're making that, you know, like a allegory. He, basically he's Jesus, you know? Right. And he mentions, he's like, oh, there was another God that came and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like Hyman says like, yeah, we actually sent you to Apocalypse on purpose because we thought Orion needed cuddling and you needed hardening, which is like, I wrote down, that's BS. Actually, I put bullshit because that's, <laughs> that's, that's child abuse. You're sending your kid to like, technically like maybe military school to get hardened and he's like a, and it's crazy stuff there's a lot of child abuse in this story and i think that one's supposed to be heroic i think so that's the thing that i see that's interesting from so that gets to your point about even kirby when he was doing this book was treating new genesis like it wasn't a utopia it was kind of dystopian and yeah. for them to, to torture someone like scott who's meant to be this innocent and send him to this place where he's going to be destroyed emotionally and physically is like just incredibly horrible punishment there's there's no utopia that would do that to any of their people yeah exactly and i think you know though i don't like this these three issues but it makes me like tom king a little bit better because it sounds like that's where he got it from Mm -hmm. I, i i remember the part where i think you just said physically and emotionally there's a part in Tom King's book where you see that like they have had to put skin grafts on them because of all the wars. And Scott would never have had to gone through all those like procedures and, you know, tortures physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, had he not been sent there. You know, he would have been a child and grown up, you know. And So the thing we talked about a little bit last time too was that Kirby's books feel like they're timeless. They could have been done, created at any point in history. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of transcend their time frame too, especially with the treatment of Barda. This comic feels very 1970s. Mm. You know, it feels like it's kind of embedded in this whole thing of, yeah, we're going to toughen you up, kid. And we're going to mm-hmm. toughen you up by beating you up. You know, it's a little, there's kind of a gym teacher kind of feel to that, a classic yeah. old style gym teacher from like a John Hughes movie or something who's going to treat people in a nasty way to get them to to be tougher. And, Mm. you know, I think we've moved beyond that. So much of this book really feels like it's from the 1970s. I mean, Bart is also shunted to the side and she has no free will in either of these two issues either. That's that's a great point. And I don't know how old Steve Englehart was in the 70s. I'm assuming he's an older guy. And he might be of the side of like, yeah, these damn hippies, they need to, you know, (laughs) they need to straighten up, you know, and all these bell bottoms and these partying in the 70s. Engelhart was kind of a hippie. Was Uh, he? Yeah, he was. Interesting. In in his time, he was considered, he was born in 1947, by the way. So Mm. he was uh, just turning 40 at the time. No, just turning 30. Excuse me. At the time these comics came out. And I... Engelhart was one of like the three innovators of Marvel at the 19, in the 1970s with Steve Gerber, who we're going to see later in the series, and Don McGregor. They're often put together as these, these three people who kind of did their own 
took their own take on the Marvel universe as fans and moved it ahead in a way that really fit the the more modern era. So he's the guy who did the secret empire story in Captain America mm. that they recently did a new version of. And at the end of it, Richard Nixon commits suicide on the in the White House lawn. Oh wow! And so like he was considered to be a real innovator for his time. But I think he he clearly is an artist or writer whose kind of time kind of passed him by. Mm. where like what was fashionable then is not really what's fashionable now. And it's interesting because like McGregor's Black Panther, for example, a lot of the Black Panther movie is based on that. And a lot of what people loved about it was the moral ambiguity that McGregor built into uh, or Killmonger. Whereas here, like everything just feels a little more stuck in its own time. Mm. There's not this level of moral ambiguity. There's not this level of complexity to it. And it just feels like Engelhart is just off a little bit compared to where we are now. Mm, that yeah. okay. makes sense. And, I, and you know, these comics fine. came out 35 years ago, so that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means he didn't kind of transcend his time. Yeah, okay. It also feels a lot like a Batman story where like there's a mm -hmm. pose where like, I think I wrote it down. Oh, it's on issue 21, page eight, panel three. And you see Scott, as Mr. Miracle, and he's got his cape like Batman covering his face as if like he's like Batman. So yeah, a lot of act Batman action stuff. Well, he and the other thing that kind of bothered me about this series is that, well, these few issues anyway, is that Scott is an action hero. We talked yeah. before about how Scott's not a guy who who fights. He's a guy who kind of misses the fighting. There in the scene in the two issues where he's trapped inside the office building with all the crazed office workers scott never like raises his fist at anybody he just tries to get away from everything mm -hmm. but here he's actually fighting and he even fights with barda yeah a punches are out yeah yeah i can't imagine him ever doing that yeah i can't imagine him ever doing that he'd probably figure out a different way of like you know kind of having her subdued and then also i can't imagine him being able to do that of course you know they said he's god now and he's got all these powers but but yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of outdated stuff in here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. yeah I think you, you, the the comparison to Batman, I think, is really good. And you know, there's that line, there's the note in the credits of all places in issue 21, where it's now direct from Detective Comics. Like, yeah, yeah this is their B side. You know, this is, yeah. this is their main commitment. This is something they're doing on the side. Yeah, they're all. The reader, you might not like Mr. Miracle, but if you like Batman, read this because the same writer and artist are doing it. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was, you know, Barda like was just like a non-factor. It's almost kind of like having like Babe Ruth on your team and you're using him as a pinch runner or something. Yeah. On the bench. Well, that's a great analogy. Keep going with that. I mean, it's just basically she's somebody that can help, you know, I mean, maybe, I mean, yeah, the whole story was about her being brainwashed and subdued because she didn't have, and he needed to save her, you know, and it's like, they couldn't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm criticizing like a, one of the great writers, I think sounds like, and it's not, and I'm not, I've never been a writer like that, but it just seems like you could have probably used her in a better way for three issues, as opposed to in the beginning being like the damsel in distress, that in the last two issues be the one that's just not even almost like in a comatose state so it's like that's mm -hmm. and, and then even if you think about granny like granny goodness like 
she gets choked out by dark side i've never seen that before or after yeah that also struck me as really wrong yeah by dark side and like so do you i mean i could see him beating like she she gets beat up for like coming in to give him some news to like to go for a war it's like like i don't know it doesn't make sense i've not in kirby i never saw dark side maybe there was a point use it like do anything physically to someone you know we talked about that when we were wrapping up with issue 18 we were talking about how dark side is this force but he's never a physical force Mm -hmm. we never see him he might do it forever people we never shoot him see him shoot those omega beans out of his eyes Mm -hmm. one thing and yeah he he's always the schemer behind the scenes he may be strong but what really makes him strong is the way he's able to manipulate his troops yeah and that's one of the things king does well is he keeps dark side as this kind of mysterious figure in the background Mm -hmm. as opposed to this foreground figure who's like beating up granny goodness there's also like better ways he could have like scared granny goodness why is he beating why is he grabbing her by the throat and like throwing her aside like a toy this is this is his lieutenant whose whole game is about pretending to show love but showing this really distorted love like it just doesn't fit yeah it's not elegant either i guess that's the point i'm trying to make is that like it would have been much better much more effective i think if he had kind of mocked her in some way or you yeah. know pretended to be on her side but but be playing a, a deeper game instead it just feels kind of i don't know thrown off i guess is the word we're kind of keep coming back to too like this just feels like it is like he's just not paying as much attention to this book it's like a lot of times when you have to do that physical thing it seems like she's not afraid of him she's mm-hmm. already afraid, like he, he doesn't have he could like be psychologically manipulative and bring about he doesn't have to like use his force hey see i can choke you out it's like okay now i'm afraid this didn't make sense it just doesn't really go to the relationship between them mm-hmm. to your bigger point like the core of the book has always been the family feel to it mm-hmm. scott barda and oberon and then the other characters also is just part of this larger family that scott's created Mm-hmm. And that's really what makes him the super escape artist is he's escaping his roots and creating a new found family to, to give himself joy. Yeah. I'm Which is another thing about King that kind of rubs the wrong way, right? Because Scott's just, he should be a happy person because he's overcome everything. But here, like the family is deliberately undercut because Barda is just never really a character. Yeah. You only see Oberon and... And even Oberon's in the background. I mean, he's, but like I, I wrote down, like, where's Shiloh? You know, like, I mean, he was an important part of the last few issues, you know? Yeah, I miss Shiloh. Yeah, I thought it was a big, di- I wrote down big diversion from characterization of you know, Kirby, the way Kirby did it. And like the but I bur- think even, even leaving aside the idea of it being not Kirby, I just don't think these comics work as well as they should yeah i think they also wanted to move away from the sitcom field into like a superhero book Mm -hmm. and maybe they think that we need to sell more do you know how long after 18 after like when these issues came out was it a year later or a couple years later um i think it was just four or five years later or three or four years later maybe 
I'm just curious as to they're all like, we need to sell. We like the last one didn't sell, or was this after? When was the DC implosion? This is after the implosion. Issue 25 dies basically at the DC implosion. Oh wow, okay. It doesn't die because of the DC implosion, but it dies at the DC implosion. This book oh. didn't sell very well. Hmm. Kirby's issue 18 came out February, March 74. And then issue 19 came out September 77. So just three years. Hmm. Three and a half years. It could have been a sell. I'm, I'm trying to, like, on what words some of the pop, I'm assuming Batman was popular then. Or... But at the same time, DC was doing the revival of the New Gods. Mm. They did the return of the new gods, and that was also out in 76 and 77. Um, that's why there's the scene in the first issue of Orion, and he's wearing that ugly costume. Because <laughs> yeah. that comes from the return of the new gods. You know, the, it was just another reason that that the book was off, but that it made sense in a way because they were rebuilding this universe. In terms of overall DC sales, so 1977 was the worst year of comic sales in the entire industry. Basically forever really yeah because if it wasn't for the success of star wars and the superman movie it's quite possible the entire comics industry would have collapsed in 77 78 wow marvel was deeply in debt before star wars came around and it's only because star wars sold millions of copies per issue and they got a sweetheart deal with lucasfilm that the the marvel was able to survive because the company was completely mismanaged during that time. Their corporate masters didn't really treat them very well. They didn't treat their, their comics as assets. And essentially, uh, like they were losing, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but millions of dollars every year. Mm. So that actually started, when you back up, this might be kind of like a Star Wars kind of yeah. you know, Dark side is, uh, you know, Darth Vader and, you know, so let me finish my little story. Oh, sorry. So Superman, uh, Superman was like a big movie that's been hyped as early as 1975. And he was, it was hyped as being written by the guy who wrote The Godfather and Dino De Laurentiis was going to be the director. And they had Marlon Brando in it. The movie basically took three years to make it to the screen. So DC was in this holding pattern basically for three years. So they fired Carmine Infantino in uh, 74 or 75, who was the old publisher at DC, because basically the line was just not doing well at all. Mm -hmm. And by 77, 78, it was doing even worse. Part of it was that it, of all the inflation there was in the country at the time, part of it was because people were just kind of not as interested in comics as they used to be. It can be tied to the age of the, the uh, baby boomers. Uh, but basically, uh, the reason that the DC implosion happened in 78 in part is because the owners at Warner Media said, we don't think comics are a viable business. So we're gonna cut back on the entire line because you're losing way too much money. And the rumor has it, the only reason they kept it alive is because they wanted the cross promotion for the Superman movies. So, you know, the, this comic came at, came out in this weird little niche in time where DC was kind of flailing around to produce anything. They kind of didn't care that much what they were putting out. The comic people were kind of free to do whatever they wanted because it was the end of the auteur time period in, in comics. And then the industry was just about to collapse. So for its time, Mr. Miracle was a pretty innovative book. 
Mm. At the time, a lot of other creators were kind of phoning it in. So that was a long, long little tangent there, but. Um, no, I think it's super interesting. It literally really puts a lot of things in context. Like it is kind of like Star Wars. It might be a little bit like even Superman. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know? And then I I'm interested in seeing like, what do you think is the innovative parts of this that weren't done before? So one more, yeah. Remind me, I want to I want to talk about Larry Hama, the editor, by the way. Oh uh, yeah. Which is interesting all such. I think I think uh Marshall Rogers art is pretty freaking spectacular here. Yeah, that's true. Colette is not a good inker to him, but there's a, so many scenes that are just like so bold and bright and interesting. Even yeah. the page you called out where Mr. Miracle's hiding behind his cape is just a really interesting, exciting scene. It's a cool, cool drawn page. It's just Batman. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the, the eight, yeah. uh, issue 21 has that great scene where he sets off fireworks above his head in the name of Mr. Miracle on page 12. Mm -hmm. And that's just a spectacular scene. And then actually comes like as the third panel on a page that starts out with Darkseid and all the soldiers around him. It yeah. reminded me of the beginning of the Thor movie when Thor comes walking in and Odin's holding the whole big ceremony. You can see all the Asgardians around him. Like that's a cool, enormous scene. Like it feels like it's coming out of an epic movie. No, it's great. And it's also, if you go back to page 11, you'll see Darth Vader in the bottom. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you see a bunch of Darth Vaders. But it's, right? no, I think artistically, you know, like, I mean, it's great. I think Marshall Rogers was awesome here. In fact, like page five on issue 21, where like he's a because teacher, you know, <laughs> dark right. side, you know, that whole thing of like, there's a lot of like cinematic, uh, you know, art artwork here. I don't know what the, what the work and a lot of cool paneling. But yeah, uh, this would have come out the same summer as Star Wars. Mm. And you could see someone who was into Star Wars saying, oh, this is so cool. We're going into these different planets. There's these characters that look like Darth Vader. That may just be coincidence now that I'm looking at it. What's that? That may just be a coincidence now that I'm looking at the time frame. Because 21 came out December 77, which means it was on the stands in, uh, what would that be, September? So I guess September 13th. 1977 so i guess star wars had been out for just a little bit they probably are based on on darth vader now that i look at it yeah star wars came out in july or something it was probably totally on their mind yeah it's like a damsel in distress kind of like leia <laughs> chosen one like luke and scott <laughs> yeah there is a lot of that in there so I, I think that's part of what makes it feel innovative for its time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it, it just has this spectacular artwork. And even like the scene in issue 20 where Scott and Bart are fighting, the way that Mark Rogers draws it with the bold word, like the, the boldness of the images, he breaks out of the, the, the grid completely. He's got the fighting against the uh, blackout backgrounds against the the sound effects that's just a really interesting way to do it that's like very kind of pop art it's almost like something out of like 
Jim Steranko or something. Yeah, actually, you know what's so funny? I'm looking at the art. It's great. No, I think you're totally right. And I, what I was going to say is like, I love the uh, zip-a-tone that he uses and like the background, some of our pictures, you know, the black and the white. Yeah. But there is a page on uh, issue number two, page 11, and uh, <laughs> Granny has like a five o'clock shadow. And she's got like arm hair, like. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know, yeah, good point. Yeah. Well, like he's, Rogers is never, was never the greatest artist. It just is really fun to, to read. I, but like, I like the part on page six where it's like birthright, you know, like with the background again, like the, the cosmic background. And I, might, I was actually surprised that he's got a lot of cosmic stuff doing it really well. I thought he was always Batman. It was like cityscapes and everything. So it's kind of interesting. He does like cosmic, like when they're on the moon and, you know. Yeah, yeah the background of the stars on the moon are, are really fun. There's even some Kirby crackle on page seven. And lettering is great too. So I mean, yeah, the art's been art is awesome. Yeah, and part of it is probably because you know I'm I'm an adult and these stories are not very, you know, they're for kids. So yeah, you keep coming back to that, Amir. But like we appreciated the Kirby issues, which were totally meant for kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as adults, uh, you know, it, it doesn't get that doesn't put Inglehart off the hook. Mm -hmm. That's true. I keep looking at the art, like a page, issue 20, page 10, panel one, with the, the complexity of the background of the stars behind them. And then there's like, oh, yeah. the, Scott's tied to these rockets they're going to lift off. And the depiction of the rockets has got all this detail in it. And even Scott's cape has really nice cape folds behind him. Oh, yeah. It, it's, there's a lot of elements to that page that look really good, even though. Vince Collette does everything he can to try and ruin it. I think he, <laughs> Rogers still comes through on it. No, it's great. And I think that shoom, the rockets go off. I missed that the first time I read it. So it's, no, the art's, art's top notch. It's really fun. It's really fun, I would say, like very fun to look at. You're right. Granny does look like she's got a five o'clock shadow. So I want to give a crazy panel where everyone's naked and it's highly sexualized in my, Probably shouldn't. So if you go to, um, uh, I think it's, let me find it. I think it's panel page, oh, page 16, panel six in the bottom. Everyone looks like they're naked. Like all, like Granny and her team. Issue 21. So it's issue 21, page 16. Yes. I noticed that too when I was rereading it. Why, why does Granny have no clothes on? So we don't need to see that. Everyone's naked and Granny is saying, the file blades have gone all the way to the pole. And then, some, and then someone asks, <laughs> there's no lubrication, they're grinding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't need to see apocalyptic porn. So yeah. Yeah, Inglehart, man, you are just tone deaf here. He's just not getting what he's delivering. Ah. Yeah. It's a shame. Uh, what other notes did you have? We've talked about most of the notes. Um, I think the parental, parental stuff, the weird paneling, the Tom King stuff. I also thought it was kind of weird that 
Hakati or Hakate dressed up as Granny to try to fool Barda. Yeah, it didn't make any sense to me. What do you make of Scott's plan to go to Apocalypse and show the lowlies there's a chance for them to escape? I thought that was pretty interesting. I mean, it's it goes along the lines of Engelhard making them a Jesus figure, right? He even <laughs> says like, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, he's all like Scott's all yeah, Earth had this god that came and like gave them you know whatever he said about and i'm gonna go up there and be their jesus and it's like mm-hmm. right. okay <laughs> but i thought that was interesting it's an interesting idea because that's a different way of giving everybody escape from dark side because he if he's able to help them become free then he is kind of becoming this messiah of freedom mm-hmm. i think it's actually it's, it's kind of an intriguing idea it's pretty good. The only thing is, like, he did it for Barda, right? So Barda can see him. That's part of it, yeah. So Barda he said, can watch like, him on the their uh, Apoc- uh, New Genesis TV. He also said, like, this is for everyone's eyes, but really for Barda, meant for mm-hmm. Barda. I really didn't understand how that was supposed to bring her back, though. I think she just sees Scott as being the escape artist, but yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. How was she like? How did she get out of her brainwashing uh, that they'd given her by him going up there and being the, you know, the Messiah? Well, all she does is say Scott. We don't even see her face. So is she just recognizing him? I'm not. I'm not sure how that all makes sense. Yeah, really. I don't know how he was able to like. And I think when did the the play Jesus Christ Superstar come out? Well, that was like the early 70s or late 60s. I think there's an illusion. He alludes yeah. to it here. He's a super, there's a, and the God became a superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar, the play had the, the firework type thingy as he does on page 12. Issue oh, 12. right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the idea of Scott leading a revolution is kind of interesting. I've challenged the power of dark side and I have one. If any of you want to do the same, I'll be around. Way to work together and win that one too. But from now, that was for you, Barda. I, I, I like the idea of him leading a revolution. Mm. I mean, I always thought that, which is fine. I think it's, that's not something I, I'm complaining about, but I always thought that revolution was from Orion. Yeah. If you think about like, but I mean, that's actually, those issues even come after this, right? Mm-hmm. They come in 84. Um, so, so Kirby came back and said, you know what? No, no, no. It's the revolution is coming from Orion, not from Scott. Lead it, let him be, let him go do his friend sitcom. <laughs> uh, which, which hero has should be the revolutionary, though? Should it be Scott or should it be Orion? Because you can make a case for either one. Scott was treated just as badly. Oh, probably worse, even. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think either one, I think. You know, this is just my bias. I feel like Scott just wants to like let me go. Like I was mistreated by my real dad. I was mistreated by my fake, you know, stepdad. Just let me live with. You know how like you don't get to choose the family that you get, but you get to chat the family of friends. Let me just spend time with people that I love, that I who care about me, who love me back, mm-hmm. not the ones who have neglected me. Orion. For all him, all intents and purposes, was treated very well when he went to New Genesis as a god. He's he was anointed general right off the bat because he's berserker. 
And then when he came back, his dad kind of like, you know, you know, was sad that he's going to have to kill him. So it's like, and Mr. Or Scott like didn't have any of that stuff and he wants to live his own life. I think Orion should be the general, Scott should be the, let me go have a kid and a wife and live happily ever after. Well, that's the tragedy in the King book is he ends up having to become the, the king. He doesn't want to be, it doesn't feel right. Yeah, he's the, he, I think he's at his best, but he's able to turn his back on everything. Mm-hmm. Scott yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, Scott needs to escape the, the world that tortured him. Yeah. So a couple kind of disappointing issues. Yeah. Good art. They're worth, they're worth reading for the art. They're available on the DC Unlimited app, whatever it's called. DC Universe. I don't even know what it's called mm-hmm. anymore. And Hoopla. And Hoopla, DC Infinite. Definitely worth a read there, but I don't think it's worth paying any sort of money for. Right. I'm looking forward to the Gerber issues, like, and uh, Gold, Michael Golden, right? Yeah, so we're reading these book, these issues in pairs. So next issue, number 22, is uh, the final Engelhart issue. It's again drawn by Rogers oh. with Rick Bryant, and it's an amazing looking comic book. Oh, okay. I, I actually didn't realize that it wasn't. Uh, oh, cool. And then 23 is the first Gerber Golden issue. Those two issues kind of work together. They're kind of philosophical and mm. really in, interesting issues. The, I, I'll tell you right now, the Golden issue is just fucking gorgeous and just gets more beautiful when we get to the oh. next week's. Oh, cool. I can't wait. Oh, my God. I actually am looking at it a little right now. It's like, oh, my God, what is this? Yeah, and then when you look at 24 and 25, which are drawn ink by Russ Heath over Golden. Oh my God, oh wow. Right? I'll wait for this. I think I own those issues too. Well, thanks for talking these two issues. They were, I'm glad we read them. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's good context for everything. Thanks, Amir. Thanks, Jason. Oh, thank you.